It's a very special pre-UNC Duke ACC Now podcast episode, episode 15, a bumper podcast with just about everybody on staff. I'm sports columnist Luke DeCock. With me, C.L. Brown, our UNC beat writer, Steve Wiseman, our Duke beat writer. We're going to break it down and chop it up, and we're going to start right away, guys, with the lightning round. Here's a question. Did these teams figure out their issues, and are they headed in the right direction, or am I crazy to write that tomorrow? Well, I will say beware if you're writing that about Carolina, because uh, I want to believe that, too, and I want to be on board with you, too, but... I, I feel like I've been here before this season where I wanted to buy into them and then they'd have a Kentucky game or then they'd have a Miami game followed by a Wake Forest game. So um, I think this game will tell a lot for me about this team, even if they lose, even in even impossible defeat. Um, I think it'll say a lot about this team because they haven't played well against a great team or even. Uh, or, or I should just say a ranked team this year, Michigan notwithstanding, because they're no longer in the top 25. Steve? From the Duke point of view, I think you're safe. Um, I, but I, I, I caveat with that. I, I, a little more time with Trevor Keels back. You know, that was his first game. He played a lot and looked pretty good. Uh, but, you know, there's a little bit of time. There's a higher ceiling they can get back to that's going to take beyond – Saturday's game, but for the most part, you know, they played defense the other night and actually the last couple of games, like they had, like they did back in December and November before they had the COVID pause and all that stuff when they were, when I thought, okay, this defense can travel. This is going to be good in March. They got away from that a little bit in January. Uh, but I think they've kind of regained that. And, um, you know, the more keels plays, the more it gets back into routine, they'll get even better. But the bottom line is you're safe right in that. For Duke. Yeah, see, uh, we talked Saturday after the state game in a in a can't miss video on the News and Observer website, and you said <laughs> you you said you wanted to see it on a cold Tuesday night in Louisville, as ugly as that game was, and as much as they tried to give it away, did you not see it on a cold Tuesday night in Louisville? Well, I saw it for most of the game, but the problem was that game should have never gone to overtime because Carolina went up ten. You're talking about a team that's lost its head coach suspended its best player before the game was going into that game shorthanded. And, and I believe they weren't going in that game looking to win. And so you got them on the ropes down 10. I mean, there was still plenty of time left in that game, but if, if Carolina would have kind of kept chipping away, I mean, it wouldn't have had to explode to some big lead, but just having smart possessions, keeping that a sizable lead, Louisville was ready to lay down. They really were. But you had that stretch, four-minute stretch. Caleb Love took some bad Oof. shots during that stretch, man. <laughs> and Louisville hit four three-pointers in a row. Total, they, they hit one stretch where they hit seven straight three-pointers. But specifically, 12-0 run on four three-pointers to retake the lead and change the entire you know, outlook for them, re-energize the crowd, everything. So... That was my problem. I know stuff like that happens on the road where, yeah, you can't, you you know, on the road, you really got to knock an opponent out. But I just felt like that was too much of what they've done before. Like they haven't gotten that out of their system yet. You know, if Louisville would have just got hot or something, 
and you know what I mean, and rode the crowd that way, then then I I'd feel a different way. But it was the way Carolina let them get back in the game. Let's give some credit to Durham's L. Ellis too. The uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, he's 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 a local, and that's what happens. You get the guys from here, and they get to play Duke or State or Carolina, and heck, State's been knocked out of the NCAA tournament by a couple of those guys. Uh, the other part of that game, CL, I'm just going to, before we pivot back to Duke for a second, I'm just going to throw this out there. If Armando Baycock gets eight fouls, Carolina's going to be tough to beat. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a foul if they don't call it. <laughs> I'm just saying, if he's, if you have a referee basically saying twice, pointing at him, like saying, I don't want to follow you out here, and that happens multiple times, and you get eight fouls, Carolina's going to be very difficult to beat. Uh, let's stick with the post play in our, our lightning round. That's really kind of more like a light drizzle around. <laughs> let's stick with the post play. Armando Baycott's offense or Mark Williams defense. Steve, you first. Um, I'm going to go Mark Williams defense and that's not a knock on Armando. I think he's great. Um, you know, Williams has been working with Carowell and the whole crew there about, um, knowing when to block a shot and when to go after the rebound and not to go after the block shot every time. Cause you, you know, give up offensive rebounds. They had a little trouble with that in January. So this is going to be the big test for him. Um, you know, he knows Baycott. They played together in AAU ball and against each other in high school. So he knows what he's getting into. And uh, I, I just think Mark is, um, is kind of getting to that routine, uh, getting to that ramp up six of his, of his season where this is where he's going to show what he can do defensively. I'm going to go with Mark Williams defense as well. Um, I, I feel like Armando has troubles with seven footers. I just feel like he hasn't played the same. Um, I know uh, the Purdue guy, Zach Eady is a little bit more. He's seven, four, like seven plus. <laughs> he's like, yeah, triple extra large seven footer. But, um, and, and that was basically Armando's worst game of the season uh, when they played Purdue, he never got into any kind of rhythm and uh, finish with just two points. But, uh, and I don't expect that to happen where he's just, you know, obsolete <laughs> as far as Carolina offensively. But, um, but I, I think Mark Williams probably has a little bit of an edge, um, especially with his shot blocking ability. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Duke having an the edge there. I'm going to go with, with Armando. And, and the reason why is that I don't think either of you guys are wrong, uh, but I think if, if he can get, Williams into foul trouble. Uh, you know, I think he could have his sort of have his way with Theo John and have his way with Bancaro inside. Baycott's just seems to be have have at this particular moment, and I agree with you, you go back that this wasn't true. That appears to have so much confidence uh and, and is doing, I mean, he's 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 rebounding like Oscar to Shebway and he's scoring like uh uh a post player who scores a lot, but you know, I mean, he's just he's it, it just strikes me that obviously, you know, Louisville didn't have Malik Williams. That, that makes a huge difference. But it, it he just feels like he's playing with a lot of confidence. OK, uh, CL, who is the X factor for UNC in this game? The X factor is Leaky Black. Yes. Who is on a hot streak right now. Um, he's he's four. I mean, seven of his last 11 three pointers. Uh, before this four-game win streak, he was two for ten on the year. So it's not like he was taking a ton, but um, obviously he didn't make <laughs> that many. So 
he's got a newfound sense of confidence. Uh, he's, he's becoming a contributor on the offensive end. And you can't just leave him open, you know, especially in that left corner, which seems to be his sweet spot now. So uh, that'll make a difference for Armando inside, you know, um, not that Duke was going to double him necessarily with Mark Williams back there. They could probably just leave him alone, but uh, it, it, it just helps the floor spacing say stay honest and true because Leakey can hit that shot now. So um, and plus defensively, I don't think Hubert is going to put him on Bancaro, but if he does, like that could just be some kind of wrinkle because he's definitely their best defender, uh, though he doesn't have quite the the size or the strength, I should say, to kind of uh, be out there trying to trying to check Bancaro. I, I think Leakey's going to end up on Keels, who's really their most dangerous perimeter player. Uh, but I could be wrong. And I here's here's an interesting thought on Leakey. Uh, you know, UNC is, is 4-0 since Dawson Garcia went out. And I think part of what's happened there is nothing nothing against Garcia, but my one of my issues with UNC all year was they had too many guys who wanted to do the same thing, and that's still a little true of, of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. But without Garcia, like, now Baycott has his role, Manic has his role, and Leakey's kind, of, Leakey's kind of found his role, which is, no one expected him to score. He was always going to be that four or five category player without points. Uh, but the way the floor is now, the way the players are spaced, it just seems like it, it's kind of come naturally to him. So uh, Leaky is my X factor for UNC as well. If, if I'm pressed, uh, I will go with, with RJ Davis. We've seen Caleb Love explode against Duke. I, I want to see Love and Davis both have huge games at the same time. I think it's just hard because they're such they're both such ball dominant shooters who really need the ball in their hands to be effective. And it's tough to have them both going at the same time. But I think for UNC to beat Duke, I do think Duke has a a talent and and schematic advantage. Uh, Both those guys need to get going. Uh, So that's that's an interesting one. Steve, on the Duke side, what do you got? I'm going to go with A.J. Griffin. And and mostly because he's been kind of up and down with his shooting. Like he, you know, 22 points against Louisville after he had five against Clemson the game before that when he was one out of six from one out of seven from the field. So if he's on, they're really difficult to beat because they've got, you know, Ben Caro and Williams inside to do some things. And um, if they have that outside element and they're starting to kind of have some plays or some sets where Griffin and Ben Caro are kind of a two man game. Um, and that that's a new wrinkle. I want to see them um, explore that a little more. Uh, even when, you know, Williams is out and John's in there and he's not the inside player that, that Williams is. So, um, it kind of gives those two guys kind of some freedom there. And so, um, you know, he is going to be a, I don't know who's going to guard him for Carolina, to be honest with you, uh, because he's six, 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 seven, and, uh, you know, pretty thick and that'll be a tough matchup for them. Uh, so AJ's my guy. You guys have stolen all my answers. I, I think you can make the argument that Griffin is actually even more important to Duke than Ben Caro because of, the way he can spread defenses like Ben Caro's mid-range game is obviously, you know, elite, but Griffin's ability to shoot and then his ability to kind of turn the corner and drive, which we haven't seen as much of, but clearly he has it in him as he gets healthier. Uh, I, I feel like that makes Duke a much tougher team to defend because you have to honor the shot. You have to honor the drive. And now you're opening up opportunities for Ben Caro and Williams and, and, and Keels on the perimeter. Uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of, dynamic there as Griffin continues to recover from that series of injuries. 
Okay, I here's I, this is another contention I have. We're we we've spent a lot of time talking about Mike Shashevsky's last game at the Smith Center. We spent a lot of time talking about Hubert Davis's first game as a coach against Duke, the alma mater of his very close friend Christian Leitner. As it turns out, we discovered this week that was no one saw that coming. I don't think. <laughs> Uh, is the actual game here getting lost a little bit in all of the sort of ancillary stuff? Like you're you're talking about a game that's for first place in the ACC. I don't think anyone saw that coming uh, three weeks ago, the way Carolina was playing, or or you know even a couple of weeks ago with Duke when they were coming out of that COVID pause. But are, have we lost sight of the game, or is it still in its proper perspective? CL. I think it's still in its proper perspective. I think it's just, uh, you know, <laughs> I think every year there are just different talking points that that people latch on to. This is a little bit bigger, obviously, with Kay uh, having his last hurrah. But um, I think, you know, once the ball throws is thrown up in the air uh, on Saturday, then all else will kind of fall into place. Um, because ultimately, that's why this rivalry is what it is, because the game generally does not disappoint us. So I, I think, well, knock on wood, hopefully we'll, we'll have another classic to be talking about on the podcast next week. Steve? I, I agree. I think that it really does help that Carolina and Duke are now you know, basically one, two in the standings, right? After what happened this week with Miami and Florida State both suffering some losses that we didn't see coming. Uh, so uh, otherwise it kind of would have been, uh, you know, if this was, I mean, heck like last year when Duke was struggling and all that. Uh, so you can't lose sight of the, of the last game for coach K in the Smith center. That's a big deal. Right. But, you know, we're back to this game deciding who's going to be in first place, even in the mid season at this point, two player of the year candidates, we were, you know, we wrote about that with Ben Caro and Baycott. Um, even though, Duke's roster has, you know, more surefire first round talent than Carolina's does at this point. Uh, it still makes it a classic Duke Carolina game with, with a lot at stake. So yes, I agree. Steve, what was your, what's your most memorable moment sort of covering this rivalry? The Austin rivers game just jumps out <laughs> um, with that as far as basketball. Um, so can I have two answers? Cause there's one that's not basketball. I'd, I'd like to get into that. The Austin river shot. No, I think we all know no, what I'm talking you, about. No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not light, not lightning around. If I do that, right. No, so, yeah, go ahead. After Dean Smith died and they got together in midcourt in Cameron, uh, locking arms. And all, that was pretty cool. That was a very cool moment. And yeah. that kind of told you like, this is what this is all. These two rivals are, you know, they're blood rivals and all that kind of stuff. But this, they elevate things with, you know, hall of fame coaches and everything. And it just kind of captures the whole thing. So that one will always stick with me. Yeah. Steve kind of stole my answer. So maybe we shouldn't have let him have that second one. Cause I, I was going to say the the first game after uh, Dean Smith passed in Cameron, um, I think the game itself too, because the way it played out, I remember at that time I, I wrote the column I wrote off of that game was, uh, Basically, it was what college basketball needed because I remember that season specifically, 2015, um, there being a, a lot of uh, – there was a narrative about how the game was being played. There was a big, you know, not enough freedom of movement at that time. You know, there, it was like games that were kind of uh, uh, just like – I don't know. It, it wasn't 
it wasn't the beautiful game of basketball. You know, it, it was it was a little bit more physical probably than it needed to be and everything. And that was just a, an awesome, what, 92-90. Uh, Duke ended up winning in overtime, came back from down eight late in that game uh, with Tyus Jones kind of taking over. Um, but it, it was beautifully played. And, and the column I wrote was that, you know, Dean Smith would have approved of that game, you know, if, if not the outcome, but, <laughs> but definitely the way it was played. So uh, that was my memory. My, my close second, though, would be I will always regret not – I've only seen, like, like, you know, been in the same place as three sitting presidents. One, when I was little, Jimmy Carter came to Winston-Salem – and think about this. They mapped out the route of the presidential, you know, from the airport to the fairgrounds where he's going to be speaking so we could go sit and watch him drive by. Like, they'd never do that now. But, um, yeah, so we went, like, down the end of my block, Bonnier Avenue, sat on this brick wall and watched, and he was waving as he went, as the limo went by. So that was one. Uh, Bill Clinton used to love coming to, I guess he wasn't sitting when I, when I saw him in person, but uh, he used to love coming to Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament. And so when I covered Louisville uh, and they won it in 2013, he was there. And then lastly, President Obama, when he came to Cameron to see uh, Carolina Duke in 2019, when Zion had the infamous shoot game and Carolina wins going away, it wasn't much of a game, but um but just being in there, I remember Ken Griffey being there. A lot of people, you yeah. know, a lot of celebrities, a lot of stars. Mike Lee. Spike yeah, Mike Lee. Lee. Tony Romo and Jason Garrett. George H.W. Bush several times. Mm-hmm. It, it was awesome. So that 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 would be my close second. I got, I'll, I'll just throw out my three, my three Obama moments are all UNC related. One was uh, the Carrier Classic uh, when he walked down press row shaking hands before the game. Uh, I remember standing on the deck of the Carl Vinson with your the, my back to the flight deck, but watching the North Station Naval Air Station, watching Air Force One land, like we're all up on the carrier waiting for the game. And then the, you saw Air Force One coming in land. You could kind of see the motorcade crawl around. Two was Dean Smith. Uh, he was still alive at the time, uh, but obviously did not attend. Uh, getting the Presidential Medal of Honor from President Obama. Uh, Bill Clinton was there. He got it, too, that day. It was... Uh, Ernie Banks and Ben Bradley got it too. And if I could have been inside the ropes that day, like Ernie Banks and Ben Bradley, the editor, not the Princeton basketball player. <laughs> Princeton sucks, but uh, Ben Bradley. Uh, and then the third was, was the Zion shoe game, which I, you know, I have a weird one actually for this question. It's, and it plays into sort of the bigger dynamics of the rivalry. I, my first UNC Duke game uh, was, uh, I believe it was the first, it was either first or second. Uh, was the game in Cameron in 2009 when Carolina beat the absolute pants off of the Blue Devils. And Kay said after the game, they're better than we are. Like, they're better than we Like, he threw his hands up and said, they're better than we are right now. And I love it because, so Carolina goes on, wins the national title that year. Harrison Barnes commits to UNC. The rivalry, Duke can't get anybody. They can't get Greg Monroe or Eric Bledsoe or any of these guys that they're going after. And everybody that, you know, it was the, the rivalry was over. Carolina had won. It was done. <laughs> and then Duke goes out, wins a national title in 2010 on the back of Brian Zubek and 
coaching waiting, John Shire, Nolan Smith, and Kyle Singler, and all those guys. And that was just, I love how quickly it flipped. It just instantly was like, whoop. <laughs> that, that one. And, and, and they got Kyrie to commit, you know, before they won yeah, the title. But yeah, yeah. that was the so, other part of that too. Yeah. So there was, and then, you know, and then Carolina went into a bit of a swoon. The, the, the 2011 team lost in the Elite Eight. And the 2012 team obviously had lost in the Elite Eight uh, when, when Kendall Marshall got hurt and then all those guys left. And anyway, that, that always has stuck with me because it was, I, you know, I transitioned over from the hockey beat and I kind of had thought I'd walked in at the end. And it turns out it was just another sort of twist and turn. That was in the middle. That was right before. I became, so I become a columnist and then Carolina wins in 09 and Carlton Tudor, our columnist at the time, went with Carolina back when you had to pick a team. So I didn't go to the final four that year. In 2010, I took Kentucky and John Wall thinking that was a better bet to get to the final four. <laughs> Duke wins the national title. And then the ACC and Duke and Carolina go into the longest final four drought in history. And it wasn't until 2015 that, uh, that Duke made it and I got to I got to cover my first final four. So anyway. Just... So so we we're breaking news that Luke Decock was the cause of the longest final four. Hey, there were two, here. There were two titles when I started. I just wasn't there for either of them. That was just okay bad. so I guess it's I guess it's my fault then because I showed up here in the summer of 2010 after Duke won. That's when I came on at the Herald Sun. <laughs> so it was me. I was Luke Luke was around <laughs> I wasn't around. I came, boom, the whole thing went to hell. And Until, then there uh, we were. There we were in Indy in 2015. That's right. Hanging out with Bobby Plump. <laughs> what a time. That, that, was a, that, was, a time. that was a fun. That was a fun final four. Bobby Plump got my picture taken with Artist Gilmore. It was great. That was a fun. That 15 was a great final four. Uh, okay. We, we've talked a lot sort of about uh, the game and all of that. Let's Let's talk a little bit about the season in general with this is always to me feels like the first Duke Carolina game always feels like the midpoint of the season. Like now we've kind of crested the top of the hill and it's going to be just this mad rush to the finish, the second Carolina Duke game. And then the, the ACC tournament, what's the key CL for UNC over the next month and change to go into the NCAA tournament sort of in, in, in peak condition? Well, I think uh, defensively, they still they have to play the way they've been playing in these last four games because defensively they've been pretty solid and and you can kind of see the improvements they've made from earlier in the year. Um, I still think they probably give up a little bit too much uh, dribble penetration, but but it's not as bad as it was. So you know seeing improvements in that area, um, I think that's probably the key. I also feel like. You know, it's something to keep an eye on just in terms of the, the mileage that the starters are are putting up, because um, at this point, there's no reason to expect Hubert to use his bench any different than he's been using. He's been riding kind of the core guys and without Garcia being that six core guy, quote unquote, you know, that that just uh, leaves them even that more vulnerable. So um that would be my concern for this team. Just, you know, how can, can they keep it going with, with such a short rotation? Stevie, why? Yeah. Um, uh, it sounds trite to say avoid injuries, but it's because uh, Duke played four games in 10 days, ending with the Notre Dame game. Cause that game got back added to the schedule. Now they're getting ready to play four games in eight days. Cause the Clemson game got, you know, shoehorned back in there. 
after it was called off. So that exposes you to something happening poorly when you're tired or travel, all that kind of stuff. So they've, they've been through the Duke always has one injury in the season. It seems like, and this year it was Trevor Keels. Uh, he's back. Um, and, and that's, that's going to work out for him. It looks like, so um, they, they can't let that happen anymore. They, they've got to, because they they've had this thing happen in the past where they've had an injury and they get him back. And, you know, let's face it after, after Zion came back, I know they won the ACC, but they never were really great again that season, right? They almost lost in the Sweet 16, almost lost Central Florida. Uh, so it's, it's happened before, and um, they they have trouble getting back to that level after an injury midseason. So I still want to see if they can get there. And number two is, um, surprisingly, Kay is still figuring out the rotation. And I know it's partly because Keels was hurt. But the other night, even with Keels back, you know, Bates Jones played in the first half. Joey Baker's getting double digit minutes. Um, what's he doing? This isn't what he, you know, he's playing nine guys in the first half. Who what's are you? Doing? As you step out the door, who are you? you know? um, who are so you? is that going to, is that going to continue now that Keels is back? You know, I know that one of the reasons why they really wanted to get Keels back the other night was Chris Carrawell talked to me about this. Roach and Moore were logging, you know, 38, 40 minutes a game, and that was going to wear them out. And, you know, Moore uh, was sick with COVID. And so his conditioning got down a little bit from that. So they were getting him back, but they've got to, so let, let's see what happens from this point forward with that rotation and see if he truly goes down to seven or eight guys. Uh, if base Jones falls back off or, you know, whatever, which probably will happen. But again, who are you? I don't know who you are now. Hey, the last time they won a national title, he made a late rotation tweak that probably ended up winning them. You know, in 2015, Suleiman leaves in the middle of the season. He's basically down to seven guys. And then the last two weeks of the season, here comes Grayson Allen out of nowhere against Wake Forest. And, you know, everyone's talking about him redshirting and all that kind of And all of a sudden, Grayson Allen's playing. And he ends up being a key contributor in the final four. Maybe that's maybe that's Bates Jones. As, as Kay said uh, today, you know, if you get a guy who was coached by Bob McKillop, it's kind of plug and play, but it's also February and he hadn't <laughs> other, other than, other than inbounds passes. So uh, bringing him in to throw the, the baseball pass. Uh, okay. Let's wrap this up here. Non Duke Carolina question. I get to go first. So you guys can't steal my answer. The team most likely to win the ACC title other than Duke or Carolina is, and I'm going with, based on what I saw the other night uh, against Miami. I'm going with Notre Dame. Uh, the Irish got off to a slow start. Uh, they weren't as good as we thought they would be, or I thought they would be, uh, but it's a classic get old and stay old Mike Bray team. They finally look fluid on offense. They're actually playing a defense, playing some defense occasionally now and then. Uh, I, I, I think this could be a, a sneaky secret Notre Dame uh, and Mike Bray will will, will, will stab, staple the trophy to his Buick and, and drive it from Murphy to Manio again. Steve, I know I just stole your answer based on your reaction. You did because I saw Notre Dame the other night, and they looked terrible against Duke, but I still think they're where well, they bounce back against Miami. Anyway, so I'll skip over that. <laughs> they, they look, I, I, I like Mike Bray's team. Who's your number uh, two? I am gonna, I'm going to pick Florida State, and I know that's not going to be popular right now because they're playing terrible. They're adjusting to life without Malik Osborne. Uh, but they have plenty of bigs. They don't have plenty of experienced bigs, but they have plenty of bigs always. And I like Raquan Evans. I, you know, the shot he made at the end to tie the Duke game sent to overtime was tremendous. Um, Leonard's teams always are playing pretty well in March. And I think 
they're going to go through this slump, and I think they're going to come back out of it the other side and and challenge Duke or whoever. I, I think Duke for the title. Well, I'm glad that we all got separate teams because I'm going to say Miami. Um, and I think I haven't looked at everybody's schedule, but Miami, the only team they play that's in the top five right now of the league, the rest of the way is Wake Forest. They have them once on the road, but, um, you know, the and, and Virginia twice could be tricky, but obviously this isn't vintage Virginia. So, um, you know, they, I, I feel like schedule wise, they've got, they played most, they had a front loaded <laughs> schedule, uh, you know, getting Duke in North Carolina, Florida state twice, um, uh, one point losses to Florida state twice, I might add, uh, earlier. And, and when you look at it, there are three ACC losses. I mean, even that loss to Notre Dame was four point game. So, um, yeah, oh, no, no, so, no, no, sorry. It was not, no, yeah, yeah. They were at home, oh, they were at home, but but yeah, I think they've been they've been playing well. They've been playing consistent since ACC since ACC play started. Um, kind of forget about those early losses to UCF and Dayton and and uh, getting blown out by Alabama. They've been a different team since the beginning of the year. So I would say Miami is still uh, still in contention for for that crown. Yeah, I, I, and it wouldn't shock me at all if Virginia Tech or. Uh, Wake Forest ended up in the championship game in Brooklyn. I mean, I think both of those teams are, are also capable of getting hot. You saw the way Virginia Tech shot the other night. And nobody has mentioned they've played two ama- uh, three amazing shooting halves in a row. The Syracuse Orange, we're getting closer to their inevitable run to the Sweet 16. Sweet as a, 16. As a, the, uh, Bay- the Bayheim brothers are going to take them to the Sweet 16. This is the first time ever they're going to start in Dayton as a 16 seed. After winning these, they'll be a, they'll win the ACC tournament and be twelve and eighteen. <laughs> anyway, they're going to um, win five games in five days. Right, they're going to start on Tuesday in Brooklyn. Start on Tuesday, win five games in five days, and then win four games and five games in in twelve days or whatever it is. Uh, we have that to look forward to. You know, <laughs> I mean, and not to mention the last twenty two years of Jim Beheim's career is what we're talking about. So. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you. We will all see each other Saturday. Uh, that's, that's hard to believe we've actually put 15 episodes of this podcast down now. It feels like we just started a couple weeks ago, but uh, we're into the home stretch now. So uh, we'll, we'll get through this first Duke Carolina game and figure out the other one. Thank you, guys. All right. Good to be with you, man.